So we're working our way through Acts. We talked about our need for a king last week. We're going to talk about nobility today. There are some things that are fundamental. Fundamentals are important really in all things, from sports to business and certainly in our faith. The believers in Berea were called noble for their commitment to the fundamentals. Fundamentals are basic. We live in a day and an age when technology is leading us far beyond the basics. For example, we have devices now that have capabilities many of us will never fully use, if for no other reason because of the limits of time. We can become so consumed with the latest gadget upgrades we take for granted the importance of basic functions, those basic functions that gave us this technology to begin with. So there's a parallel here with our technology and with our faith. Fundamental to our faith are the basics. The basic truth is basic and it is so prevalent around us that we take it for granted. Paul said it like this, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Therefore, they are all without excuse. The truth of God is so basic and accessible and yet there is a depth to God and his truth so infinite that we will never reach the end of it. Though the depth of God and His truth are without measure, we are encouraged, in fact, we are commanded to seek Him and to seek His truth in all of His endless depth. To seek God is a privilege He gives to His children, but His children have to take the journey. This is a privilege God gives us, but we have to make the journey. The journey is basic, and for us, it should be daily with diligence. Our text today is Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. Three verses. Let's read them. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble or fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would, by your spirit, open our hearts and our minds, reveal Christ to us, Lord, let this gospel have entrance into our hearts and our minds that it would be good seed planted in good soil that would bring forth a righteous harvest of spiritual fruit for your glory, that we would be a people to give witness to Christ in the totality of our life, in small things and even in great things, Father. We ask this for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. So if you think of God's word as the ocean, we should get our feet wet and swim in it every day. We certainly may swim the shallows, but we must also plumb the depths. God and our desire will lead us to that appropriate depth. And God's word is like the ocean. You literally can get your toes wet or you literally can plumb the depths that that are not measurable. 
If we're learning to swim, we may stay in the shallows as we become more proficient at swimming. But our proficiency can only grow as we consistently dive in and immerse ourselves and actually swim. I had a roommate in college who was a very good swimmer. In fact, uh, when he was from a different state, he was from Ohio, and uh, we went out to Lake Travis one weekend as we were made it our habit to do, and we were out at uh, one of the marinas there swimming in the lake, and um, he said, I'm going to swim across the lake. I'll catch up with you guys later. I'm like, what did he just say? So what? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll catch you guys. I said, how are you going to get home? He said, I'll find a ride home. He starts swimming. I'm watching him. He swims till he's out of sight. And I'm like, well, I may never see my roommate again. You know what's? So he made it home. He hitchhiked home that night and found some friends, met some new friends, and he was all good. And so I said, I don't even understand how you can do that because I'm not real comfortable. I like playing in the water, but I'm not a really good swimmer. He said, well, your problem is, he said, you're not comfortable in the water. He said, you got to get comfortable. And he said, the only way you can do that is to get in the water and swim. And he said, when you get comfortable and you know how to handle yourself in the water, he said, then you don't, you're not fearful, you're not nervous, you're not anxious. He said, that's how people drown. They, they become anxious and they lose their sense of, you know. Well, this is the way God's word is. It's kind of like swimming. The only way we're going to get comfortable in the water, the only way we're going to get comfortable with God's word is to immerse ourselves in it. People tell me all the time, I try reading the Bible, but it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like saying, I tried to swim across the lake, but I couldn't make it just, you know, a few hundred yards. I mean, a few hundred feet, a few hundred yards, that's a long ways. So if we're going to become proficient at swimming, if we're going to become proficient at the word of God, we've got to immerse ourselves in it so that we can find comfort. And the only way that we're going to do that is to immerse ourselves in God's word until we become comfortable in it. So we need to dive into God's word daily. We need to begin to swim. We need to begin to immerse ourselves in the word of God. And when we do that, we will begin to find that we are plumbing the depths of God. We'll become comfortable with getting out of the shallows and swimming into the deep. But we must never forget and we must never forsake the fundamentals that equipped us for that deep dive. The believers at Berea did not forsake the fundamentals. In fact, to their credit, they diligently embraced them. And this is the reason they were called more noble. So let's look at these three verses and let's look at these believers and see what we can learn from them. It says that when they arrived, in verse 10, when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Remember, this is Paul's custom. This was his custom, to go where worshipers of God were assembled. I want you to notice that the worshipers of God assembled. They assembled weekly. They assembled regularly. And it is no different today. The worshipers of God should assemble regularly today. We must never assume that because people assemble to worship, 
They all know God, or more importantly, are known by God. Paul certainly did not do this. This is why he went to the synagogue. This is why he consistently preached to worshipers. And you might say, well, but, but you know, they didn't believe in Jesus. They believed something different. No, they had the same scripture. They had the Old Testament scripture. They had the witness to Jesus. They read it. They studied it. They memorized it. But they didn't have eyes to see Jesus. Paul would go into the synagogue. He would go where the worshipers assembled. And he would illuminate the word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit so that the people would see Jesus in the very scriptures they had read all of their lives. There are people today in churches all across our land and across this world who have read the scripture, who assemble regularly, but they still don't have eyes to see Jesus. This is why we must preach the gospel without compromise and without apology. Only the gospel is the power of God to salvation. We do a disservice by preaching any less. We're not called to preach success and motivation. We're not called to pre preach uh, positive thinking. We're called to preach the gospel. This is why it's important for the believers to assemble together. It is a point of obedience as God commands that we do not forsake assembling together as is the manner of some. Instead, we are to consider one another in order to provoke one another to love and good works. This is what the writer of Hebrews pinned for us in his letter. We come together to provoke one another to love and good works. We come together to encourage one another. The preaching of the gospel should never, should never be forsaken. In other words, our assembly should never be without the preaching of the gospel from the inspired word of God. That preaching of God's inspired word and his gospel should inform our doctrine, our teaching, our manner of life. It should equip us, encourage us, challenge us, correct us, and provide instruction in righteousness. If the church is not receiving the gospel and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, how can the church go equipped into this world and be a witness to Christ? We can't. And one of the main responsibilities I have as a pastor is to equip you for the work of ministry. All the saints, all, that means all the believers, are to be equipped for the work of ministry. We're all called to the work of ministry. And we do that work out in the world. Yes, we do it here to provoke each other to love and good works, to encourage one another. But we've assembled here to worship. We've assembled here to be equipped to hear the gospel so that we can be equipped with the gospel and go out into the world and be a witness to Christ. Because people in the world, people who don't believe in Jesus, people who are not interested in worshiping God, even if they're worshiping the wrong God, even if they have a misconception of who God is. If they're not interested in worshiping, they're not assembling. That means they're in the world and they need Jesus. So this is the point of us assembling, is to be equipped so that we can take the gospel out into the world. And if you haven't noticed, our nation is in desperate need of the gospel. This is our problem. We have forsaken the gospel from the pulpits across this land, and we've not equipped people 
And we are not worshiping the God of the Bible. We are worshiping the God of our own creation. And if the church is not receiving the gospel and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, then we can't take Jesus as a witness to the world. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, but never to the exclusion of assembling with the saints and functioning as a connected part of a body. We understand this practically. It's why the Bible talks about the body of Christ and it uses the metaphor of a physical body. We would never detach our body parts and set them in compartmentalized and isolated places and, affect that our body, and expect that our body could function. But yet that's practically what we do as the body of Christ. We compartmentalize ourselves, we separate ourselves, we isolate ourselves, and when we do that, we can't function as the body. So our relationship with Jesus is personal, but not to the exclusion of assembling with the saints and functioning as a connected part of his body. The very name church, that word church, means literally the assembly of called out ones. That's what church means. Jesus used that word. It's first recorded in the New Testament. It's recorded there used by Jesus, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my assembly of called out ones. That's what that word means. So the church, by Jesus' own definition, is an assembly. Our faith, therefore, is not exclusively personal, but it is necessarily corporate as part of our personal expression of faith. So Paul goes into the synagogue of the Jews. He goes into that assembly of Jews and worshipers. And it says, these in Berea were more noble. They were more fair-minded, as my New King James translates the word. The word translated fair-minded, though, is literally the word noble. It means to be more open-minded. What made them more noble was not their birth. It wasn't their status. It wasn't their caste. It wasn't who their ancestors were. What made them more noble is very clear here. They were more noble. They were more open. They were more fair-minded in receiving the word of God and the message of the gospel. Their character was described as noble because they readily received the word of God. This is a high compliment to these believers. It's a high compliment to any believer at any time. It's who we should be as believers. We should be like these Bereans. And it says they received the word with all readiness. They were ready to receive the word of God. They were open to the gospel. This word readiness means a state of preparedness for future needs or happenings. If I said, are you ready? Are you ready to go on your trip? Are you ready to go on your hike? Are you ready for your new job? Are you ready for Monday morning and what lies ahead? It speaks of being ready for something that's coming, something that's future. 
Readiness is a state of preparedness for future needs or future happenings. It conveys an exceptional interest and willingness in being of service. It is eagerness to engage in some activity or invent. In this case, it was discovering the, the truth of the gospel. They had a readiness in receiving the word of God. They were eager. They were willing. They were exceptionally interested in discovering the truth of the gospel. And the Bible says as a result, they were called noble. The scripture called the Bereans noble due to their readiness in receiving the word and their diligence in searching the scriptures daily to discover if these things were so. This is what it says in verse 11. They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so, whether these things were true. They were diligent to search the word daily with purpose. They searched the scriptures to find the truth, to make sure the teaching and the claims of the Apostle Paul were so. It's what you guys should do with me. Don't just take my word for it. It's why you should have a Bible. You should be reading. You should be searching out. You should know whether what I'm saying to you is true or not true. Because there is no human that's infallible. This is also the reason they were called noble. They took the preaching of the gospel and the scripture seriously and devoted themselves daily to discovering the truth as revealed in God's word. As a result of this, it says, therefore, many of them believed. Not just the Jews, but it says the Greeks also and not a few of the prominent men and women. Paul writes in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Let me read to you Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it... In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. <clears throat> In our Sunday school lesson today, I noticed that uh, R.C. Sproul was talking about Martin Luther. And this is the verse that Luther read and got the epiphany, got the illumination from God, and he realized that, that it is the gospel that reveals God's righteousness, and that we're saved not by our works. We're saved not by our own righteousness. We're saved by the righteousness of Christ that is given to us through faith. From faith to faith. This is a phrase we're going to take just a moment to look at a little more uh, closely. It's a difficult phrase. Literally, literally what it says is from faith to faith. It might sound easy, but there's a lot of different beliefs about what this is actually saying. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean? The righteousness of God is in the gospel message revealed from faith to faith. Or we could say it like this. The righteousness of God in the gospel message is revealed to be by faith for faith. Or we could say it like this. 
the gospel message is revealed by faith in order to be by faith received. Literally, from faith to faith. This expression is taken by some to mean that faith is originating in God's faithfulness and resulting in man's faith. Some say it is more likely that it means that it is faith from start to finish. I happen to believe both are true. The righteousness of God must be revealed by God. You notice it says the righteousness of God is revealed. That means someone has to reveal it. It doesn't say the righteousness of God is discovered. It doesn't say the righteousness of God is found. It says the righteousness of God is revealed. Who's doing the revealing? God is doing the revealing. The righteousness of God must be revealed by God with all revelation of Him originating from God's faithfulness and resulting in man's faith. Our righteousness, therefore, by grace through faith from start to finish. So our righteousness, our righteousness, our being declared just and righteous is from start to finish by faith, through faith. Our believing resulting in our righteousness is therefore not possible apart from God's faithfulness given to us by grace that we may be saved through faith. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul quotes the prophet Habakkuk there. It's Habakkuk 2.4. In Habakkuk 2.4 it says the just shall live by his faith. Paul pins it this way. The just shall live by faith. And I think there's two ways we can understand this. That faith is a way of life but also that faith is our life. In other words, there is no life apart from faith. The just shall live by his faith. The just is alive. The just has life by his faith. How are we to live? We live by faith. We walk by faith. Not by sight. So, understanding that faith is a way of life but it is also the means of life. For without faith in Christ, there is no life. We have no life. And Berea, by God's grace and God's faithfulness, many believed. So it is for us today, by God's grace, by God's faithfulness, we have faith. His righteousness is revealed by faith. And it is His righteousness that saves us, not our own. We are a church today that is, we need a church today that is noble like the Bereans. I hope we are a church today that is noble like the Bereans. But we need more than ever before a church today like the church in Berea. We are to be a people who assemble regularly. We are the assembly of called out ones. The body cannot function if it is not assembled 
together. And we cannot give witness to this world if we are not a functioning body. We are to be more noble, more open-minded. We are to receive the word of God with all readiness so that we are prepared to be witnesses to Christ now and in the future. We are to have an eagerness, a willingness to be of service to Christ. We should be people who search the scripture daily to seek his truth. He is the truth and the truth alone will set us free. The world wants us to believe all sorts of lies. The world has its own commentary on the scripture. The world has its own commentary on the creation. And the world tells us if we don't believe their commentary, if we don't believe their version, then we are hateful. And the culture will cancel us. And we need to be prepared for this. It will cancel us in all sorts of ways. If, if we say the wrong thing, if we believe the wrong thing, if we voice the wrong thing, if we demonstrate the wrong thing, the culture will automatically seek to cancel us. And this is a problem in the church because much of the church today does not want to experience the wrath of the culture. Much of the church today has believed the lie that if we fall prey to the wrath of the culture, then we lose our credibility, we lose our ability to, to influence, we lose our ability to be appealing to the world. Therefore, we have to get along and go along with the world in order to maintain our status with them in hopes that maybe some will come in, and if they come in, then we'll trust the Holy Spirit to work on them. But we're going to preach a message that's not going to be offensive. We're going to preach a message that's not going to cause the world to, to get its, its, its um, you know, like my cat, when my cat gets mad and it bristles up and the hair stands up. That's what happens to the world when it hears something, perceives something that it doesn't like. We can't be afraid of that. Because if we're afraid of that, that means we fear man, but we don't fear God. And it's not our ability to talk people into believing. You have no power to talk anyone into believing. It's not our place to convince people to believe in Jesus. It's our place to preach the message. It's our place to be messengers we need to be able to give a reason for the hope we have. We need to be able to tell people why I believe in Jesus, why I have hope in Jesus, why I went from not believing in Jesus to believing in Jesus, why I went from not trusting in Jesus at one point in my life to absolutely trusting him completely now. We have to be able to do that, but that's not the same as trying to talk someone into believing. We need to have a bold witness and not back down from the truth. This is what the Bereans did. They thought they had the truth and Paul comes preaching the gospel and he, they realize that what they had believed had not been true. And they abandoned their former belief for the truth. 
And we know that not only for Paul and the apostles recorded for us in the scripture, but we know for many, they lost relationships. They lost family relationships. They lost business. They lost all kinds of things because of their stand for the gospel. And we know for centuries in church history, there were thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands of people who lost their lives simply for believing in Jesus. And there are still people in parts of planet earth today who are losing their lives today because of their belief in Jesus. We live in a nation that will crucify our reputation if we believe in Jesus the way the Bible teaches and preaches Him. And if we're afraid for our reputation, how will we ever stand if our life, our very life is on the line? Jesus, why Jesus said, don't fear those who have power to kill your body. Fear Him who has power to cast your soul into hell. We should be a people who search the Scripture daily to seek His truth. And we should not be afraid of how that truth affects us and how that truth demands that we ourselves change and conform to it. Unless we know the truth, we cannot speak the truth in love. We cannot know the truth if we do not search for it. And God will reveal His truth to those who seek it. Proverbs 25, 2 says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. Jesus said we are kings and priests to our God, and we will rule and reign with him on the earth. It is our place to search out the hidden truths concealed for us in the word of God. Jesus said, seek and you shall find. We are to be noble-minded people like the Bereans and search the Scripture daily for God's truth. As we read and meditate on His Word, we are being prepared for His service. The result of our diligent search through God's Word will build our own faith as well as equip us to do the work of ministry so that others may come to faith in Christ through our witness. Our diligence in the word will give us a greater understanding, a greater capacity to share the gospel with boldness and with confidence. The power of the Holy Spirit will work through the implanted word of God in our faith-filled hearts and our renewed minds. The power of the Holy Spirit will work through willing and obedient vessels. That's what God calls us to be, willing and in obedient vessels. May we be that kind of vessel for the glory of God. Amen. And here is your charge on this Thanksgiving week. Be a thankful people. And if there's ever a time we need a Berean-like church, it is today. There have been times equal or worse for the church there is no doubt about that. We are incredibly blessed here in the 21st century. But I think it is fair to say that there has not been a time as challenging for the church in America in our lifetime.
and whether that challenge and the tribulation of that challenge will wax and grow greater or whether it will wane and decrease will depend largely, will depend actually exclusively upon the church, the Lord's people called by His name. This is our time of visitation. We are here and now, and what we will do for the Lord, we must do here and now. Our charge is to faithfully assemble together that we may grow together and spur one another on to love and good works, to be noble, open-minded to God's truth, to be moldable and pliable and not stuck in our ways and hardened in our ways, to receive the truth with readiness that we are a prepared people, prepared for the work of ministry that God calls every believer to walk in. We're charged to search the scripture daily for his truth and freedom. To believe and to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. That is our charge. If we do that well, we will live well. And we will die well. Whether it's of old age, hopefully of old age one day. But however death comes to us, if we live well for Christ, we will die well for Christ. Amen. I'm thankful for you all. I'm thankful for God's blessings. You are one of the greatest blessings that God has ever given to me and my family. And I just want to say thank you. Let's pray.